Hello and welcome to A Chronic Entrepreneur. My name is Dara and my mission is to change the dialogue surrounding chronic illness by sharing empowering stories of entrepreneurs thriving with and despite their chronic illnesses. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis seven years ago, mere months after opening Byzantine Design, the most beautiful tile store in Melbourne, Australia. These stories are what I was looking for when I was diagnosed. I'm happy that you are here. So today we're speaking with Siley Upday, and she's the proud and passionate founder of Mind Body Hope. Her mission is to empower 10,000 women with the skills and strategies they need to confidently reclaim control of their physical, mental, and spiritual health. Due to a sudden and traumatic battle with blindness, Siley has experienced the life-altering effects of debilitating illness firsthand. During this time, Sally grappled with isolation, depression, miscarriages, body image issues, and food addiction. Since regaining her sight against all odds, Sally now practices as a certified health coach to help other women create a life free from food addiction, emotional eating, and draining yo-yo diets that were so damaging to self-worth and confidence. Instead, through hypnotherapy, Sally is able to help women recognize and rewire these damaging sub- subconscious patterns and replace them with health promoting habits so they can truly reclaim control of their own health. Her values of freedom, compassion, resilience and equity help her remain laser focused on creating positive health outcomes for people who may have otherwise given up hope. Welcome to the show, Siley. I'm thank so you happy so to much. see you. Likewise, thank you so much for having me. And it's been a wonderful chat even just before we went live. I know. So I know. <laughs> it's like I know you forever now. <laughs> And I saw you this morning present at One Roof and there were a few, including myself, people who were so moved, there were a few tears. So I'm so looking forward to talking about your story. I, Full disclosure, I haven't read too much because I was too excited to actually just listen to it all unfold as we were talking. So brilliant. Um, yeah, so let's dive in, I guess. We normally start talking about the entrepreneurial journey. So how did you start? I know your business is very new, but how did it start? Like, were you entrepreneurial as a little girl? Like, were you, did you have lemonade stands or anything like that? Not um, lemonade stands, I'd have to be honest, but my father is an entrepreneur. And so that's kind of the only life I've known. Like when like when your dad goes to work, he he goes to his own office and his yeah. own work. And my mum is a PhD and has been a teacher all her life. So two kind of very diametrically opposite um, approaches to careers. Mm-hmm. And I was always drawn to the entrepreneurial side, to be honest. And I knew there was more. So I don't necessarily know if it was entrepreneurship. I just knew there was always going to be more. And I remember writing this article when I was seven in a newspaper that said, I want to invent injections for babies that don't make them cry and don't have a sore bottom. So I was thinking about something back then. Um, But yeah, I've always wanted to do more. And giving back is a huge part of how my parents have brought me up as well. So I think to give back, you've got to really feel the pain, right, of something other than yourself. So um, yeah. What kind of things would you do to give back, like growing up? so much from like adopting stray animals and disappointing my dad a million times over because like there was no room at some times like our house would just have all these street dogs that we would you know pick up me and my cousins would pick up and bring home 
And um, my dad's actually allergic to dogs. And that's why I say disappointed because he was just like, what child am I raising? Um, and then, you know, all sorts of things. Like we had old age homes in India. Um, they're very different to the retirement villages here. They're not, you know, extremely well funded by the government or anything. So they rely on donations and charity a lot more than we do here. And so actually visiting, doing the hours, reading books to the people that have no one. Um, we've done street plays in the villages to kind of educate them on sex education through school. So lots and lots of like varied activities. I wouldn't say a one kind of particular charity, but so many. And even my mum and through this business, we now fund education kits for teachers within rural India so they can go and teach kids that don't have access to resource. So, um, yeah, we still continue on that journey now through the business. That's amazing. When did you come to Australia? I moved to Australia in 2013 and I had been in New Zealand for several years before that. So I moved to New Zealand as a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. So grew up in New Zealand 10 yeah. years. Yep. Met my husband there. And then um, one fine Tuesday, I just said, hey, I'm leaving for a job, like uh, knowing fully well, the, um, you know, the, the, the competitive sort of sporting nature between Australia and New Zealand. I said to him, I'm leaving to go to Australia. And he's like, what are you? No. And, you know, um, but then he followed me soon after, obviously. And yeah, we absolutely love Australia. So this is home for us. Do you still barrack for New Zealand in the rugby? See, this is the thing. I barrack for cricket. With In cricket, I am an Indian supporter. It's in my blood. It'll never leave. Um, the All Blacks, I'm a New Zealand supporter, obviously. <laughs> and now I, I'm trying to find a sport that I can um, really root for Australia, but I'm not there yet. I don't have an AFL side yet as well. So maybe that's next. Yeah, I struggle. I'm not really into sport. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I really struggle with the whole barracking for someone. I think I've been told it has to be Sydney Swans because my oh. brother supports Sydney Swans <laughs> in the AFL, but I don't really, to be, I don't, I don't care. I wish our government funded the art stuff as much yeah. as they funded all the sporting stuff. I oh, absolutely. It was just as important, but yeah, it's not. You know, I think one of the first things I do when we go get out of lockdown is I'm going to the NGV and I'm going to look at beautiful things on the wall <sighs> and just go to a gallery and, yeah, feed my soul that way. Take me with you because that's not okay. something I do often at all, but I would love to be educated in that, you know, just observe beauty and, you know, just look at, like, different perspectives. I think I'd love to, to do something like that. The way I chose my favourite um, rugby union team in New Zealand mm. was based on the hottest rugby player. So well, very technical. The girls selection. got to choose somehow. <laughs> so do they wear the cutoff shirts. No, they don't in rugby. Like no, they but they show their muscly arms. Yeah. And <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so Mind Body Hope, let's talk about it. How mm-hmm. long has it been an iteration for? What's What's been the process of creating the business when did you launch it yeah it's definitely had a few iterations along the way it's um, coming up to a couple of years old now and I think when I started off I 
I was really clear about the person that I wanted to help. I just didn't know necessarily in what way. So whether it was through nutrition or whether it was through health coaching or now hypnotherapy or, you know, how am I going to get to this person? And that was kind of that evolving iteration that I've um, taken the business through, I reckon. At one point also, the business was doing really well in the health coaching space. And then I started getting approached by a lot of coaches asking them how you know, for help on how they could set up their coaching businesses as well. So I dabbled in that for a while. And then now I run that through other organizations. So the same modules that I would teach one-on-one, I've kind of outsourced that aspect and gone back to what I really love, which is the health coaching and hypnotherapy. So I feel I've landed now in the sense that hypnotherapy just allows me to give women that extra push that they don't have to struggle or work hard for, if that makes any sense at all. But it's just something that is the wind beneath their wings rather than them swimming, I mean, flying into headwind, you know? And so I'm really passionate about hypnotherapy and this is where I, yeah, I live for it. Absolutely live for it. I love that. (laughs) So a mind body hope is, so it's coaching and hypnotherapy for who's your target audience? I'm going to say typically busy women um, Mm -hmm. and I haven't narrowed it down to the sense like mums or corporates or, you know, I don't want to because come as you are essentially is one of the biggest ethos in my business. And so if you come to me because something in my marketing and something about me appeal to you, I'm not, you know, I don't have the audacity to turn you away because if you've reached out for help, I'm going to show up and help you. And so I'll say busy women. I'll say women who are exhausted and feel really unsupported. I think that's who I I really, really feel passionately to help for. And I think women who have tried everything because there is not, and I challenge you, there is not a diet in the world created that I have not tried myself and failed at miserably. And that's perpetuated that cycle that I'm not worthy and I'm not good enough and I'll never lose the weight and I'm just going to remain like that. So if you tell me I've tried everything and I'm still, you know, really unhealthy. Yes. I want to wrap my arms around you and say, come in, let's work together, you know? So yeah, that's the person I want to work with. I think that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I just, yeah, that gives me goosebumps. Oh, I'll wrap my arms around you too. Okay. We'll do it at the art gallery. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I know I struggle with worthiness constantly. And it's really coming to the fore at the moment for me right now. So it's because it affects my health. Yeah. It It affects a lot of things. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think this pandemic and this, for me, I live alone. So there's so much time on my own. Yep. There's a lot of thoughts going on up in my head that, aren't necessarily very nice to me. No, and that gives me goosebumps and I'll tell you why. Because when I went blind, we didn't have podcasts back then. We didn't have, you know, iTunes or whatever. Like this is a good 10, 12 years ago now. Mm. You're stuck with your own thoughts and that trapping is it's unreal. And until someone's experienced being trapped in their body or being limited by their body and limited by their mind, I don't think we truly appreciate how free we really are until it comes to that freedom being taken away in some form, like being told not to work because of your condition or, you know, being told that you won't see again in my case. And when it's handed down to you, it's something that you just, you have to 
push against constantly to kind of say, no, there will be a way and let me show you how. But without vision, I was kind of so like, I felt like I was in a vacuum. I don't know how else to explain it because it was just me and my thoughts, me and my thoughts. And then obviously, yeah, yeah, hubby has to go away and work because at least one of us needs to be the breadwinner in the home. And so I was alone for predominantly majority of that time. And yeah. And then when my husband returned, you know, after a big long day at work, instead of being grateful and loving and whatnot, I'd just pick silly arguments with him because I was like on the defense all the time because I was feeling so vulnerable and I didn't know how to show it. And I didn't want to be less than, and I didn't want to be helpless and depending on someone as a newly married person that I just chose to pick arguments and make myself even more unattractive than I already felt, which was um, pretty hard to do at the time, but I succeeded somehow. (laughs) I think for me, I feel like, like I have MS and I've got a few other things, but I think for me, it was like, I felt like it was all my fault. Like Mm. it was my life choices. It's my diet. It's my, (sighs) you know what I mean? Like it's, it's my stress levels, it's this, it's that, it's everything to do around me. But the reality is, and I have to remind myself of this, is I have a chronic illness that I can't control a lot of the time. I can manage it, but Mm -hmm. even when I manage it perfectly, things can still go wrong and I have to be kind to myself, but I'm not at all. Like it's always if I get a flare-up, it's like, well, what have I done wrong? Yeah. And it's awful and it's just, yeah, it's hard. And I know I'm not the only one. I mean, uh, completely, I relate to that too. And like, it's also about, you know, all these slogans, like sometimes I feel that they do more harm than good. Like things like, I love myself, I'm perfect as I am. Well, when I stand in front of the mirror naked and I have bulges where I used to have athletic rowing arms, where I have flaps between my thighs that, you know, have their own mind pretty much, (laughs) I've got stretch marks and rolls and things that, the old Siley would have thought were unsightly, but I can see them now. My logical mind is not telling me I'm perfect and I love and embrace my body. My logical mind is telling me this needs to change maybe, or how can you make peace with this? Or, okay, this is the new you. Let's start the acceptance journey. It's not telling me I am too blessed to be stressed or I'm so perfect. And, you know, it's just not telling me those slogans that are on T-shirts and in memes. So I've never thought any of those slogans in my head. Exactly. And so that's the conflict immediately, isn't it? Because what we're seeing is what we think is how we should feel. Mm. I don't even know if the people that put those slogans out feel the way that those slogans tell you they should feel. But that wasn't me. And so I had to first kind of make peace with the fact that that will never be me to then start to accept this is now me. And do I want to change it? Do I want to stay the same? And then let's go from there, you know. But self-love is a far, far kind of milestone for me in that acceptance journey. I'm still in that acceptance phase. And sometimes I fail at it. Sometimes I do really well. But the more I show up in my authentic self, the more it allows women that I want to work with to show up for themselves. And that's kind of what drives me now. It's such a good mission. And I think, how are you going to help 10,000 women? Have you got a plan? I do have a plan. (laughs) (laughs) The face just lit up. So, um, 
so I'm really like, I may not directly help the 10,000 women, but through the charity work in India, particularly because at one time we, we, we can help hundreds of women, right? Just with the conversion rates that in India, with the resources I have access to, my mom still goes out and delivers all these kits herself in rural oh, parts of in India. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. So she goes out, she trains the teachers, she shows them how to use these kits. They then impact like hundreds of children. And so it's that that chain effect, that dynamo or domino, domino, not dynamo, domino effect that I, you know, really, really am banking on. And we're doing the education kits, we're doing sanitary items and footwear for little girls as well, because that's quite taboo in India. So I think the 10,000, when you think about it in terms of direct and indirect impact, you can see it starts to add up pretty quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I do have... I mean, in my ideal world, the 40% would be women who I directly impact and there'd be that 60% that I can continue to kind of tick along in the background of women that I might be indirectly impacting. So that makes it more real in my mind. And when I get there, then I'll have a bigger goal, hopefully in the next Well, few that's years. it, isn't it? Like you just, you hit one goal. That's the entrepreneurial journey. Like you yeah. never, you hit the one and then you kind of go, okay, next one. Yeah. What do we do? Make it a hundred thousand. Maybe we can do a podcast when it's a hundred thousand again. Okay. We'll do one when it's 10,000. 10,000. Okay. And then we'll celebrate and then we'll do one for the hundred thousand. Deal. Who knows? Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, it's just that beauty of kind of the goalposts keep changing, right? And entrepreneurship, like you said, and that adaptability, I think it's energy in some way, like it, it, drives you it can be daunting it can be challenging don't get me wrong but I think it's really rewarding when something you thought was never possible you start to see eventuate right before your eyes like yeah yeah, that's fun and especially when you've been sick yes and you you had lost kind of a bit of hope and a bit of and to kind of think that you're not like you've done all that in spite of and as well as yeah and it's and it's yes and you know like it's it's such a and when none of us ever take the time to congratulate ourselves no. or to actually because it's always like well what can I do next yeah absolutely so um I want to applaud you for everything you've done so far I think thank it's you amazing. and thank I'm really you. And looking forward to seeing what you get to do And I'm so, so blessed that you're part of the journey right from the start, because as I was saying to you offline, Mm. I am so drawn to the way that you are showcasing people with chronic conditions. I cannot tell you enough how visibly seen, heard and looked after I feel reading those articles of other people even. So I can't even imagine how they feel seeing themselves portrayed in such a positive, ambitious fighter survivor whatever you want to call it way it needs a special person to do that and that's you Aww. honestly thank you You're my thank you no I mean it I mean every word I'm just the conduit for the stories I'm just the person who I did my why with Simon Sinek ah, yeah his guys and it was about getting other people's stories and sharing them so that other people can learn. That's my whole why. I didn't say it in the beautiful words that it was given, but that's my why. That's why I'm here. So, yeah, it's, and, like, we have such amazing stories to tell. 
Exactly. And where are these stories? Because even through the challenges, there's moments of like hope and triumph and whatever, right? And mm. we either get sucked into like, woe is me and nothing's good and great or whatever. Or then we're like trying to portray this fake elevated kind of perfection like there's no in between and I think you balance those two things so beautifully through your storytelling it's just amazing really really good well done honestly yeah (laughs) thank you yeah it's um yeah I love it it just really lights me up so let's talk about your chronic Mm -hmm. and how what happened and the story behind that and I yeah I really want to dive into that as much as you want to Amazing. So I uh, was 23, newly married, world at my feet, literally just started a job as a business consultant, was doing incredibly well, was being mentored by one of the industry leaders in the energy space. Um, And I looked after the technology that sat behind big companies like Red Energy and stuff like that. So I worked for that company that looked after all the tech for big powerhouses. Honestly, had like the world was my oyster. And I loved it, took it for all it was. And I was ready, like any opportunity. And I was just ready, right? And 23, you're like 23. Yeah. Yeah. You can do everything. Exactly. And I was this weird one where with the people that I know, I am really social and really extrovert. And I'm this shy, meek little mouse at times when I'm in a large setting of people that I don't know. So When I look back now, people, depending on what part of my life people came in and out of my life, they know me as either really shy Siley or like the party animal Siley and there's no in between. Um, But I think now looking back, you know, it was beautiful. My life was textbook essentially. And, And then we had this incident that basically ruptured my corneas um, and so got wheeled into emergency and instead of them drawing out the moisture because there was like while we waited for the senior doctor to show up or the surgeon to show up this person that was in charge did what they thought was best and flooded the eyes with saline because that's what you would do to clean the wounds Mm -hmm. but that was actually the counter treatment so unfortunately Mm -hmm. they had then dissolved and damaged any tissue that they could have salvaged as well And there began basically the long, long um, treatment, messy, ugly, you know, roller coaster ride, essentially. So I had both my corneas transplanted. I had about 150 stitches in either eye. And with eyes, they're super intuitive. So they never operate on both at once unless they really, really have to. So I was blind in one eye for over two and a half years while they fixed one eye. Once that took the tissue, then they moved on to the rest. And so I developed something at at the time called keratoconus hydrops, which is essentially rupturing of the corneas and it leaves huge scars across your corneas. And so you you can't do anything apart from, to be honest, um, replace them. So this is why I'm such an advocate for organ donation as well, because I truly would not be doing what I'm doing right now unless some beautiful person had chosen to organ donate um, at two separate occasions, you know? So just my personal views, obviously, as a recipient, it's meant so much. So yeah, that's where it started. And then your corneas, which fun fact, didn't know at the time, don't receive any blood supply, apparently. So 
the part of the corneas that needed healing had to be healed artificially through steroids. And I tell you this because that's what actually led to the chronic. I would say it wasn't so much that incident. It was the treatment plan after. And so the steroids kind of just, I was on the highest strength of steroids. So the ones that you get just after chemotherapy, very similar to that strength. And I shouldn't have been on there for more than three months. I was on them for about seven and a half years um, because it was staggered by the time one I had healed, it was the time for the next one. So you just went on, you know, and that became part of my normal life. And I had the worst skin flare-ups, like I'm talking massive eczema, massive elasticity of skin that's just gone. So your skin just feels like it's torn um, at all times. And you're just carrying around like hanging torn skin, which I wouldn't wish on anyone. Eyes constantly being flared up, severe migraines, really bad headaches at just the most random times, heart palpitations, type 2 diabetes, because I'm on steroids for that long, high blood pressure. And you know what the worst part was? Like you were saying earlier, you know how you blame yourself? People around me, once my eyes were fixed, right? I looked like I look now. So forgot the fact that I had just been through that whole ordeal to get my vision back. And all they could see out of concern or out of whatever, love, care, whatever it was, but all they told me was, you need to lose the weight. You need to lose the weight. How are you losing the weight? Are you going to do your gastric lab band, whatever it's called? Is this what you're going to do? And that messed with my mind so much. Yeah, it just wasn't the time to be talking about my weight. Looking no, and that, well, they would have said it out of love, but at the yeah. same time, it's like, you know, that's not, yeah. Yeah, let's just wait a minute. Let me enjoy the fact that, you know. I can see. I can see again. <laughs> so how long was it? So it was like seven years for you to see properly in both eyes? Intermittently, yes, absolutely. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And so I still have like quite thick glasses, as you can see, Mm. um, because, you know, when your cornea settles down, it kind of settles either really well or not so well. And mine just didn't settle that well. So I can't see very well without glasses. However, I'm 46. I can't see that well without glasses these days anyway. One way or another. (laughs) Eventually it happens to all of us. (laughs) that's so funny um so yeah maybe I don't feel that bad now (laughs) um and yeah that's kind of you know how um it's settled for me but not having that rupture in in the eyes allows me to do so much more and allows me to Mm. see and like I think the scariest part like when I had the rupture was was this the last time I saw my parents? Was this the last Mm. time I've seen my husband? Will I ever have a child? You know, and I've always been that person that wanted like a truckload of kids, but now I have one and I'm so obsessed with him that I have to kind of not be a helicopter parent and remind myself, like (laughs) he didn't choose to have an obsessive mom. So calm the farm. But yeah, like I, this is the life I had always dreamt of is like marry young. And I did absolutely adore my husband we've been together 15 years in feb so he's been through the guts of it with me and couldn't have asked for a better husband seriously that's so lovely so you obviously weren't working for those seven years or well i was because i had not not when i was blind in both the eyes um obviously but i yeah as soon as like they could do enough for accessibility so literally like they would joke about this that people from um 
offices further down hmm. wouldn't even need to come and ask me anything. I would just type it on my screen. Like I would say yes or no, and they would be able to see it from their office. That's how big the screen was. <laughs> so it like honestly could see like you could see two words on it that's how massive it was and I had special glasses and all sorts to be able to see but even then you know like you think woe is me but at that time I had employers that were willing to take that chance on me that saw me through this with a stable job and the world's come so far in those areas now and there's so much further to go but um, I, I was really lucky with the people I had around me I was really really lucky I think it's that what we were talking about earlier before the recording, it's that entrepreneurial mindset and a chronic, like you just, the resilience that you have and you've just got to keep going. Like, you yeah. know, that like you could only see with one eye and yet you still went to work. And you know what I mean? Like, it's just not, if someone had told you that that's what your resilience levels were going to be and you were yeah. just going to keep going and then you're going to, you know, move countries <laughs> and start another business and do all that. Like you would have been like when you, like when it first happened, you'd just be like, what? Yeah, what are you on? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I think um, my resilience, so there's two things on a personal note that I'm really, really proud of in my life. Mm-hmm. And one of them is being a mum because I think, genuinely and women don't say this enough about themselves so I'm going to take like go out on a limb but I feel I do a really remarkable job as a mother and the other thing was not settling for my diagnosis so I fought like a mad person for my diagnosis to be different and not many people have the luxury so I understand and I speak from a place of privilege that I had the option but I never once, and I promise you, never once visualized myself as blind, not once, even when I couldn't see anything. But it just never occurred to me that blindness was my future. And that gives you some different strength that, you know, you don't tap into on a day-to-day basis, I think, when you just will not take their word and you will find your own way out, you know? Yeah. You just, it becomes part of your story. It's not yeah. your entire, like, because uh, I had, I fell over six weeks after opening the shop and within six weeks had fallen again, look, optic neuritis in both eyes. I would sit in the shop with a pirate patch, oh. but, but I just kept going every day because I had to. And everyone's like, oh, just close the shop and move back to Sydney. And I was like, hell no. This is and where did you draw your strength me? from? Where did your strength come from? Absolute stubbornness. Yeah, high five. <laughs> yes. Absolute, because everyone, when I decided to move from Sydney to Melbourne and open up a tile shop, <laughs> every single person in my life except for one was like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? And I was like, why wouldn't I do that? And that person became a silent backer in the business and I did it and I just moved it. And then, yeah, I, I opened the shop. I think it was six weeks I fell over and then another six weeks later I had to close it for a week Ugh. after being in the hospital because I had a five-day migraine from the lumbar puncture. But then I got up and I went to work and I had to go to rehab to relearn how to walk. And I had, luckily oh. I, I had some staff at that point. I had to hire some people even though we weren't even busy, like it was so quiet compared to what we are now. Like it was mm. lucky it happened then and not now, like further in. 
but it's made me a better human. It's made me a better boss. It's made me a better entrepreneur because I don't, I hack my life. Yeah. So that I don't have to do the things I don't want to do. Yeah. Generally in good times. At the moment, it's everything like in the pandemic is a bit harder than normal. Yeah. But I don't, yeah, if I don't want to do something, I'm not going to do it because life's too short. Absolutely. And isn't it so funny that as you describe your story, I could not imagine having the strength to go through what you did. I could, impossible, legit, like impossible because, and this is part of, you know, like what I'm talking about on a larger scale as well, like why women need to back themselves up as well. Like women are going through such traumatic things every single day and yet somehow we rank how bad someone's instance of whatever was like illness or in our mind we're constantly saying oh I was like I had it much easier than someone or I had it much better than someone or yes be grateful for sure but don't whitewash pain because every person felt it yeah felt it you know like Mm. I could not imagine just like I can no way imagine going and starting a tile shop in a different city, like backing yourself up to that extent, then falling over, then going through all that and still continuing to pursue it. Even the risk of hiring staff when you're not generating as much revenue, huge. Not many people would be able to do that. Hand on my heart. I would shudder if I had to hire people when I wasn't making enough revenue to cover that, you know, in a new setting. Like that's not an easy business decision if you are entrepreneurial. Um, it wasn't even a, like, I just had to do it because yeah. I had to be there. Oh. And, like, I didn't even, yeah, like, I, I don't think I thought things through. I just did. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have the brain space and I would have had migraines the whole time. I just did. Like, yeah. and I'm such a different person now. Oh, beautiful. To what I was back then. Like, a completely different human. Mm. So much better for it, right? In a weird and oh, wonderful way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, worked out. Yeah. And I mean, that's the reason this whole thing, podcast and website exists, because I looked for the good news stories. I looked yeah. for the people who were succeeding despite or in spite. I don't know which one, but in spite of like a chronic illness. And there yeah. were none. Yeah. No. So any my wish anytime someone tells me someone's been diagnosed with something, I'm like, oh, just send them to the site and let them read. Mm. Let them yeah. know that it's it's gonna be okay. Like it'll be hard. Yep. But it'll be okay. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be the same thing. Like mm. it doesn't have to be the same thing at all. You can still draw inspiration from someone going through something completely different, but there was no representation of that, I don't think, in the way that you're doing it. So yeah, I agree. Like seeing someone excelling can be that one spark of hope that you need sometimes when you're totally. really beating yourself down, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Amazing. Totally. Thank you. Um, what, how, what do you use any, like, do you have remnants of like things that you still have to manage with illness, like with the steroid stuff? Like how do you manage that? I know you're also working and have the business. So how do you manage all that with your health? And just so that you've got enough energy and can get through. I think um, focusing inward is probably the best way to summarize it because for, you know, when I first started out and like Instagram, so glamorous and so kind of, you know, full of the gloss, right. I, 
I have to be really honest here. And I kind of didn't know where I belonged. Like, was I an influencer and did I want to go down that path? Or was I an entrepreneur and I'm setting up a practice, like a coaching practice? You know, what do I want to do? Because eventually I do want to, you know, I have aspirations to maybe be on a panel or talk on stage or whatever. And so you can quite get boxed into that personal brand space and then start to think like influencing and that's the way to go. And so I would always like feel really disappointed that I couldn't go to events all the time and I couldn't like wear makeup. Eyeliner will not last on my eyes for more than five minutes because my eyes water incessantly. So um, no eyeliner, you know, like I have to wear these glasses. They make my eyebrows look funny. Like all these self-critical thoughts that you have, I think. I, I had don't to at all. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> shut those up and just say, look, I'm just not going to be that person that's rocking up in a, you know, beautiful outfit, taking beautiful photos. That's just not going to be me for now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and focus on the impact that I'm doing and that's it. And in terms of managing things, I have limitations such as I can't drive at night. I still have, um, which hypnotherapy is helping me a lot with, is I still worry about driving with my son in the car and just us because I constantly second guess my eyesight. And that's been debilitating, to be honest. And that's not something I share with many people, but I just worry. I worry sickly like about having him in the car. And then I don't go out to night events, particularly like where I have to present because I can't look into projectors or things like that. So I can talk during the day, but I can't look into sunlight or, you know, things like that. I manage with eye drops, like steroid eye drops at the moment. And then I also have really bad eczema flare ups from time to time. So particularly for events where you have to show your face or whatever. It's always just before those, isn't it? It's always (laughs) just before those. And yes, part of me says, you know, that's who you are and all of that. But it's still like, it feels like, oh, you know, Mm. why now? You know, like I just, I still haven't quite mastered that where I'm just so Zen that I'm like, okay, big flare up. You look beautiful. Like I'm not there yet, you know? So yeah, but equally I try not to like today I dressed up for the one roof thing and for, for the podcast, but normally I don't wear makeup or, you know, I try and stay as natural as I am and whatever will be, will be essentially. But yeah. yeah the older I get the less I like makeup and stuff I just I've never enjoyed wearing it so I just yeah don't yeah absolutely I if just, it makes yeah. you feel good then do it mm. like I I still spray perfume now like there's yeah. nobody anywhere in my vicinity but I love to smell my perfume yes. and so <laughs> I I love the fragrance um but small things for yourself great but otherwise no and yeah just it's been the it's also been like the inactivity so when I put on a lot of weight I think like I couldn't you know climb flights of stairs if the event just had elevator I mean no elevator and just stairs I would probably make up an excuse to not go and this is the thing there was so much shame that I was so creative in all the ways that I could not attend something or I'd never just come out and say listen my heart health will not allow me to climb the stairs. And so is there other provisions or can we, you know, can I take it slow or whatever? I just never gave myself that chance. And I just made up an excuse, built a wall and then sat in my bedroom eating Nutella. You know what? It's people wouldn't even care. It's all the things that you put on yourself that you think people are going to care. Yeah. And they just don't. No. No one cares. 
not in a bad way, but no, no one, you judge yourself on such a higher level than anyone else would ever even consider judging you. Yeah, if absolutely. they judge you at all. Exactly. And people and, are yeah. self-obsessed, right? So, like, <laughs> it's the fact. And I think that's been quite liberating to kind of get there. But I, I wasn't always there. And so, you know, like, or even... Like when I was blind, so I had put on all this weight, but I couldn't go shopping for clothes, right? So I was stuck with clothes that didn't fit me anymore without being able to see the new clothes that I'm buying. So I would not rely on my husband if it was the last day on earth to go shopping for me. Lesson learned. But I had to rely on like the hideous outfits. Lucky I was blind and I couldn't see how hideous I looked. But essentially, I don't know what I looked like. I used to paint my eyebrows like three inches above where my eyebrows actually were. Not a soul said a word. I thought I had like porcelain skin, you know, didn't need a wax ever, nothing. The first time I could see, I'm like, holy, like there's a whole vegetation that's just like surviving in there. What's going on? It was all these small things that you're like, where, what world was I living in? You know, where was I? But yeah. life went on. You life know what went I mean? on. Like, it, it, like <laughs> nothing changed. It Ma- was just your, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you see any healers? Do you have any modalities or anything that you use? No, because I don't think I was open I had a lot of resentment when I was going through my thing because of Mm -hmm. all the conversation around weight constantly being hurled at me in different directions I don't think I was open and the way I healed was through coaching and I have to like if I didn't do that I would probably be seeing a healer for the rest of my life but through seeing people change and through seeing the small part that you played in just unlocking what they already have available to them is so rewarding. And it's just, you sit back and you can take that in and it's like, cool, I made a difference today and that's enough for me. And it just, yeah, it was my therapy and it still is my therapy. So, you know, horses for course. So you're talking about coaching other people, not yourself being coached. Yeah. Yeah. I've had coaches along the way for different Mm. things, but they've all made an impact in different areas. So I can't say like this one coach really transformed my life. They all bought something so wonderful that I needed in that time. And I suppose you go seeking out for what you really need, but just don't know you do. Right. And so you find those people that are ready to offer you what you need at that time. I have a coach in Canada at the moment as well, and she has just redefined what I think as beautiful. And even just redefining that for myself has been so freeing and so liberating because it just doesn't have the need to conform. Beautiful is whatever I make it today. And, you know, give yourself that luxury and that freedom. And so, yeah, small things like that. I think I've seen people along the way that have made a huge difference, but the surgeon, I think, like I always look back and think what person went through 20 whatever years of medical school, paid enormous bills in education just so they could perform my corneal transplants. And when I talk about corneal transplants, like the transplant is literally the, that small and it homes 150 stitches around it. Right, we're talking about the edge of your pinky. Literally, oh yeah, this is a podcast. (laughs) The edge of the pinky, absolutely, with like 150 stitches. And 
so I can see again. And I remember so clearly my surgeon would come in with the, with me in the elevator. He would be dressed in like his suit. He'd have a pen in his pocket. And that was it. Like he didn't even carry keys or a mobile phone in his hand. He always, and I'm like, is this the surgeon? Like, is he prepared? Because he's not in scrubs. Like, what is he going to do? And he'd be out before I came to, obviously. And I'd meet him in the elevator again while I was being taken into post-op and he was driving off. And the weirdest interaction, but he has spent his whole life so I could see again. Like, what? That's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, that's gratitude, isn't it? That's just Mm. the the whole, yeah, it's such a beautiful way to look at it. Mm -hmm. I think you're amazing. I could keep talking to you for ages. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> we'll have to like meet up at the gallery. And- Absolutely. Yeah. They might kick us out for being too noisy in what's supposed to be a really <laughs> quiet place. So you never know. <laughs> possibly. That could possibly happen. So I've got three questions that I ask at the mm-hmm. end of yep. everybody. So we're almost at the end of COVID. Hooray. What yes. are you looking forward to in the next six to 12 months? So I definitely want to bring visibility to my brand and to invisible illness in general. So as I was saying to you, you know, like really want to grasp those opportunities where essentially I could speak at a panel or speak to women like you that, you know, have the awareness and build communities around a certain topic. I'd love to to be known and seen in those spaces slowly but surely. We'll Um, create that. Let's create that situation so we can be on a panel together. Yes. Do it. Yeah. No, I'm serious. Like, same, no same. Cool. Perfect. I might moderate it and you can be on the panel. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. But keep me to time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll like be on a panel and we'll be having our own private conversation. <laughs> how this is gone. We'll be like, oh, yeah. And da, da, da. <laughs> yeah. I want to, and this is, I, I haven't scoped it out yet, but I want to bring like a bit of a luxe feel to hypnotherapy. And I say this because the issues that I deal with, are often quite embarrassing and shameful and yep. not spoken about yep. openly. And so by making it like a really luxe, enjoyable experience, it almost becomes like a thing to go to rather than a thing to go to, you know? And I, I, I don't know, I just feel like women can come in, feel really good, get all the goodness from hypnotherapy and coaching and leave feeling like they've just had the best experience in the world. And Like a day spa. Like you've yeah, but a mental day spa, yeah. There you go. Oh, my God. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> but, yes, the, a mental day spa. And so um, I've worked in corporate for 20 years in customer care and in customer experience. So I'm hoping all of that education that I've had and all the teams that I've built, that experience is going to help me make world-class customer experience for the women that I work with. And that's one of my big things. So yeah. That's amazing. I I have one of my spidey senses is that I can visualize a room when someone's talking to me about it. Mm. So I'm picturing velvet. I'm picturing like fluffy somethings for people to and candles and just lux and grass and yeah I can picture the room we'll do it together cool (laughs) (laughs) amazing you can have a dinner party and invite anyone alive or dead yeah this is a three-part question who would you invite of those people who would you sit on either side of you obviously for conversation wise and what food would you serve so I would invite back my grandma and grandpa 
There's no doubt in my mind because my grandma had a fear of flying. This is my dad's mum. But while my mum was out doing her PhD and, you know, she was our mum essentially and she looked after us, we could do no wrong. We could have like committed the worst crime and come home and told her and she'd say, okay, cool, but, you know, you're a great person, so let's find a way out. And that's her. And so I would just love for her to come and see the home that I've built, the family that I've created, the business that I have, um, and just come have dinner with me. You know, I am a great cook in my mind, but obviously I don't know if other people feel the same. Um, So I would love for her to try out my Indian cooking as well. Um, And she had a limited palate. So something beautiful, nourishing, vegetarian for her because she didn't eat meat. And my granddad passed away when he was 60. Um, And my dad is now older than, you know, my granddad ever was. So for my dad to meet his father again and see, you know, all the beautiful things my dad has done in his life that my granddad never got to see would just be the most incredible family dinner. And for once, now that I've lost the weight (laughs) or, you know, I'm healthier. Yeah. I'm hoping there's absolutely like it'll be banned talking about body size, body shape. It'll be banned. They'll have to go hungry if they mention the word weight. So that's going to be my ideal dinner is my family. And especially after COVID, like I wouldn't have it any other way. However, I did prepare an answer earlier. There will be an after party when my grandparents are in bed (laughs) and that will have Rihanna, Taylor Swift, Rafael Nadal, Naomi Osaka, and Ryan Gosling. So Rihanna and Ryan Gosling will be on either side and we will be having either a ton of whiskey or a ton of margaritas. So oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I would have Rihanna at mine. Oh, she was she, was uh, she babe. just oh, I think all the stuff she's doing with Fenty oh. with the lingerie like the parades. So good. Oh, it's just amazing. Like yeah. she's literally changing the world. Yeah. She's, and yeah. even her experience in like violence and stuff like that is so like so courageous to come out in the open and talk about that at that point in your career, you know? Yeah. Oh, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And he still has a career, which is annoying. But anyway. <sighs> yeah. Last question is what's a piece of art? So something I just define art as something that someone else has created. So it yeah. could be a book, it could be a painting, it could be a podcast, it could just be something that's really gotten you through the last 18 months, two years, while we've been in a pandemic. Okay, so after you have spoken about the NGV, you're going to cringe. But <laughs> <laughs> for me, um, the trashiest R&B Friday music playlists are life, our life. I wake up to them. I go to bed with listening to them. And so the treadmill, which has been created by Nordic Track, has mm-hmm. kept me sane and kept me moving all throughout lockdown. I jump on every morning on Instagram and I run like a little, um, you know, hamster on a wheel. And that is my me time. And I enjoy it. I do it before the sun is up and it's just gorgeous and so I couldn't have lived through lockdown without that keeping me sane so it's Nordic track piece of artwork and R&B playlists do you sing with your playlists I think I do but <laughs> I didn't I say do you sing well I asked if you sing oh, I do sing <laughs> yes 
it's funny because doors start shutting through the house. So I don't know whether that's got any connection to me singing, but my husband seems to want to close all the doors um, as soon as I really feel in the mood. So that's amazing. I think that's yeah. a great answer. That's the, what I'm looking for. It's like that one thing that's yeah people would not necessarily expect. Yeah. But um yeah. And I love sparkle. Awesome. I'll send you a photo after. So I went and bought all these like sequins cushions in lockdown. And so they project like a whole ceiling of stars on my in my lounge. And it's so beautiful just before the evening sun goes down. It's like lit up completely. And I love that. So I'll send you a picture later. Oh, please do. Yeah. Please do. I would love to see that. Um, thank you for your time. Thank I want to you. acknowledge you and all the work you're doing and yeah. just... I know you're at the start of your journey, but I think that, like, you can really make some change happen. And I think mm-hmm. 10,000 isn't enough. I think you're going to get, oh, I think you're going to hit way more than that. Thank you. And I hope that you continue to be part of my journey. I really do. Like, you know, there's some people you just make that connection with. Yeah. And I genuinely think, like, if chronic illness is what connects us, then so be it. But I think I'm always in your corner. And oh, thank you. yeah, I'll cheer think- you on. Chronic illness is the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. And I think that's what people don't understand. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't escape it, right? Like, what are you going to do? Like, Mm -hmm. if you don't take it in stride, how are you going to escape it? There's no escape. And so you can either, like, feel shit about it the whole time or just get on with it. And that makes it human, you know, ups and downs. So. Oh, I'm so glad our paths have crossed. And even just replying to your questionnaire was something like previous me would have gone, oh, no, I don't think so. Like, look at the website. It looks so professional. Would she really want to feature me? You know, da-da-da-da-da-da. And I was like, so hesitant. I've been on your website three, two, three times and then not done it. And then again, it came up on Source Bottle. And I was like, this is my sign because it's come up three times in a week. I'm doing it. And that's how I submitted my um, questionnaire. Well, I'm so grateful you have. <laughs> no, it's me so too. good. I'm very grateful that we've crossed paths. Yeah, well. absolutely. So thank you. Thank you. Where else can we find you? How can people support you? Can we support with um, the work you're doing in India? Is there a way to support that? Or- yeah, it'll be incredible. So I will um, put, because my mum hasn't been able to travel recently, we're trying to get some really good photos and stuff done to really show the kind of range of work we do. Um, hoping that by the time this podcast is released, my website will be um, uploaded and it will have a page dedicated to this work as well okay. so they can donate through there if they like um, but otherwise what's the web address oh we'll sorry it in the notes yeah yeah www.mindbodyhope.com so easy peasy easy. yeah but um, people don't need to donate separately they mm-hmm. genuinely don't because I take a portion of the proceeds that I earn from the client work that I do and I pass it on so yeah. You don't have to feel obliged to go and donate. No one needs to. This is my kind of, um, yeah, promise to that cause. So absolutely. And Instagram is Mind Body Hope as well. So I think I'm quite active on Instagram. So that's probably the best way to come and have a conversation. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. You too. This has been wonderful. Thanks. And I look forward to meeting you at the NGV. Absolutely. You've got a date. (laughs) (laughs) Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Chronic Entrepreneur. 
Please also check out the blog at achronicentrepreneur.com where we have featured dozens more of chronic entrepreneurs who have shared their stories. If you have a chronic entrepreneur story of your own you would like to share, please don't hesitate to get in touch using the submit form on our website. Until next time, thank you for supporting The Chronic Entrepreneur.